Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. This episode features the music from the 1998 film Stepmom. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Once John Williams completed his work writing the score for Saving Private Ryan in spring 1998, the plan was to take a break for a few months before taking on the major task of writing music for the first film in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. But that changed when an old friend came calling to step in for a project set for a Christmas time release. And this story starts with the hiring of Scottish composer Patrick Doyle to write the score for Chris Columbus's movie Stepmom the director's first attempt at a straight drama. It's about a family dealing with divorce, the addition of a younger woman in the father's life, and the mother's cancer diagnosis. Doyle, who had never worked with Columbus before, saw the film and was attracted to it because he, too, was dealing with a form of cancer treatment. He convinced Columbus to allow him to write the score, feeling that his own struggle with leukemia would resonate in the music. Sometime after being hired to write the music, Doyle was no longer the film's composer, with John Williams stepping in as his replacement. How that happened has been the cause of more than two decades of rumors and hearsay. Some will tell you that Doyle wrote his score and began recording it with an orchestra before Columbus decided that Doyle's music was a little too syrupy and decided to replace him. Others will tell you that Doyle's illness got so severe that he couldn't finish the project and asked to be replaced. And another side will tell you that John Williams, who had worked with Columbus on two Home Alone movies, heard about the project and pushed Doyle out. And then there's another story that said Doyle got through composing the stepmom score and was ready to record it, but was backed up against a deadline from one of the two other film scores he was writing that year and asked to leave. The news about Doyle's replacement made the internet rounds in late July 1998, and many fans were up in arms about it including me. After Film Score Monthly reported on the replacement, I wrote to the editors of that website, saying in part, quote, This is a high-profile film, but not the usual fare for Williams lately. It should be a nice score and a stark contrast to his recent work. But to have written a full score only to have it scrapped at the last second is not good form. End quote. Now, this was five years after my entry into the John Williams fan family, and apparently I didn't know about all the previous replacement scores Williams wrote, including Rosewood, just 18 months earlier. The reply to my email said in part, quote, Typically, a film is in trouble, the studio is desperate to do anything to improve it, and since they can't recast it, have probably already recut it, and may have even reshot some of it, rescoring it is the easiest avenue to take. End quote. Another reply that the editors made to a similar email has been the prime cause of much of the rumor spread since then. That reply said, quote, What I have heard is that originally Columbus was pleased with Doyle's score, but as dubbing approached, he wanted some cues rewritten. Doyle was going to do that, but during this period of time, Williams' agents, who are very powerful, pressured the studio and filmmakers into using Williams instead. Who knows what Williams really thinks in all this, but many times composers will jump to replace a score because if they don't, 
chances are someone else will. End quote. There is no attribution to back up this claim, only that the editor heard that this happened. Unlike other scores he has composed as replacements, the reasons why Williams stepped in for this one have never been revealed. And none of the involved parties have ever spoken publicly about this. The only thing we have is a couple of sentences from Columbus in the liner notes of the official soundtrack release. He writes, quote, As a director, you are placing months of passionate work into the hands of someone who will guide your film's emotional journey. It is essential to give that person your trust, with the promise that they will not only enrich your film, but elevate it to a higher level. And then he goes on to praise John Williams. I have some details that will get us closer to a definitive explanation for the events that took place. Thanks to information from the American Federation of Musicians, it's very clear that Williams or his agents did not push Doyle out and muscle into this job. Also, Doyle's illness did not prevent him from completing his assignment. Records show that Doyle composed a full score and recorded it over five days in June 1998. If the Film Score Monthly editors did hear about Williams stepping in to write a replacement score in late July, it likely came after Columbus put the film to music and realized that it didn't work. With two other projects on his plate that year, Doyle most likely could not do a rewrite. So, Williams was approached. Williams did step in to write the score in early fall and recorded it over four days in October 1998, immediately before he was to start work on writing the score for The Phantom Menace. So, the story behind Williams' replacement score is no different from his work on Rosewood or The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing or even Home Alone or the others. The original composer's music wasn't good, and Williams was brought in to save the film. I'm sorry if that erases all the scandal from this score, but that seems to be the case. Those who know Chris Columbus's work solely from his involvement with the Home Alone and Harry Potter franchises might be surprised to know that he directed this very deep and moving drama. Even his other film about divorce, Mrs. Doubtfire, relied more on the comedy than the drama. But Columbus's staple of putting children at the forefront of his stories is very clear in Stepmom, even though Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon are in the leads. The two children in the film, Jenna Malone and Liam Aitken, almost steal the film every time they are on screen and give the film the necessary lightness amid the heavy drama. We don't have a release of Patrick Doyle's score to compare, but the reports that his score made the film a bit more melodramatic mean that Columbus wanted music that wouldn't drop the film into very maudlin terrain. Storylines involving divorce and cancer are heavy subjects on their own, but to put them together can really turn a film into a television movie of the week. When John Williams stepped in, his thoughts turned into a more honest depiction of the story. You won't find a lot of sweeping strings or sorrowful melodies during discussions of divorce or death. As has been his staple in the 1990s, Williams brought in a special musician to serve as soloist for some of the score's big moments. For Stepmom, that was guitarist Christopher Parkening, who had a promising career while a student at the University of Southern California, but walked away from professional performance at 30 years old, not returning to that life until 1990. It's not clear how Williams convinced Parkening to contribute to the Stepmom score, seeing as Parkening had never performed on any previous scores, 
but his contribution is not major, so you don't sit there pining for Williams' old friend Tommy Tedesco. Parkinson's guitar appears for just less than five minutes in the score, not including the music composed for the end credits. Parkinson's first appearance in the score comes 94 minutes into the movie, during a montage of scenes featuring Isabel, a photographer by trade, taking photographs of Jackie with her children for a special Christmas gift Jackie has in mind. And later, as Jackie begins to see her children bond with Isabel after she marries her ex-husband, Jackie realizes that her cancer will take her away from all the moments her children will experience as adults. Isabel, on the other hand, is certain that Jackie's presence will always be felt. The two air out their grievances in a surprisingly touching scene that once again features Parketing on the guitar.
There's no real melody in the guitar here, and it may be because Williams knows that the dialogue outweighs anything he might want to put in the score melody-wise. Parketing just seems to be there to accentuate the mood of the moment, and that is what makes the scene a bit more emotional. Much of the talk against the merits of the Stepmom score revolve around the lack of thematic material, and the detractors aren't wrong about that. Most of the film, especially the first half, is devoid of thematic material. Williams uses a lot of piano and similar instruments to underscore the scene transitions and a few key scenes early on. Here is an example of Williams's keyboard writing for Stepmom. It sounds so ethereal, giving most of the scenes that accompany this type of music a little lightness. If there is thematic material, it comes in the form of two melodies in the score, neither of them extremely prominent. Perhaps the most obvious one belongs to Jackie and her cancer struggles. We first hear this theme as an eerie string melody when we learn that Jackie has been dealing with cancer for a while, and her doctor informs her that it has returned. The theme comes back later, just before Jackie prepares to tell Isabel about her illness, which she had been hiding from the family to spare them the grief. The film version and soundtrack version are a bit different once Isabel begins to snoop around Jackie's mail on a table, but the theme is prominent here in the piano. It's not too sorrowful, but there's not much hope in it either.
Williams gives Jackie's theme a little bit of hope in a scene after she returns from a trip to Los Angeles where she got a major cancer treatment. The kids and Isabel treat her to a surprise cutout photos of the kids, and Williams puts Jackie's theme on the piano, but holds off on the descending notes to give it a little bit of optimism. The second theme in the film might be called the family theme, as it plays sporadically through the film during talk of family. Here's an ethereal performance of it on the woodwinds, as Jackie and Anna take a nighttime horse ride after a snowfall. If you are a fan of the score, you know of the track called The Days Between on the soundtrack CD. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason behind the naming of that track title because no one says that phrase in the movie. But it's a tender piece that kind of evokes Williams' writing for Sabrina and even The Accidental Tourist. It doesn't feel like a heavy composition, but there is a good deal of strength in the notes as it plays the family theme. Most of the music in the days between is similar to what appears in the end credits music, except Parkening's guitar is not as prominent in the days between, so I'll play the end credit music version so you get more of Parkening.
Most of the end credits music featured in the film version was not used in favor of the Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell classic, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, which is an important song in the film story. So that's about it for thematic material. Most of the score just flows underneath each scene, not trying to make its presence known. Except for a couple of scenes. There's one featuring Jenna Malone's Anna at a soccer game, and the music delivers a fun ostinato in the strings. It's a nice light scene that relieves us from the previous scene when Jackie learns her chemotherapy has not killed the cancer in her body. And then one more scene featuring Isabel at a photo shoot where the street has been converted to look like something from the colonial days. Williams appropriately puts in a Baroque-style shirt sew here to accentuate the setting. All in all, this score does no more than it needs to do. In the case of Stepmom, it doesn't need to make its presence felt, as most composers would do in the real heavy scenes, in order to make us feel sadder or to start reaching for the tissues. I'm sure John Williams knew going into this project that it wasn't going to get him much recognition, if any, but it offered him a chance to continue to exercise restraint musically in a year when he had done just that with Saving Private Ryan. Though critics blasted the film for being uneven, particularly with five credited screenwriters, 
Stepmom made a profit at the box office. Perhaps that's what happens when Julia Roberts headlines a movie. Just about every movie in which she was in a leading role since 1989's Steel Magnolias was a box office success, and that kept rolling through Stepmom for another five years. She would, of course, win an Oscar in 2001 for Aaron Brockovich. As for Susan Sarandon, Stepmom was her third film of 1998, a busy year that included the thriller Twilight with Paul Newman, which bombed at the box office. Stepmom made $159 million in worldwide box office receipts, making it Sarandon's biggest hit of her 28-year career, until Enchanted blew that away in 2007. Sarandon also received a Golden Globe nomination for her performance, and I remember people even suggesting that she get an Oscar nomination. If she had a death scene in the film, an Oscar nomination would have been a slam dunk. And of course, Chris Columbus was able to move on from this film and go back into working with kids prominently in the Harry Potter franchise, at least for the first three films until he dropped out. As for Patrick Doyle, he beat leukemia and managed to finish the scores for his other two films that were released in 1998, Quest for Camelot and Great Expectations. Though he was Oscar-nominated in 1996 and 1997 for his scores to Sense and Sensibility and Hamlet, he would not receive major peer nominations after that. He would continue to work with longtime collaborator Kenneth Branagh, scoring all of Branagh's films after 1998, and would take over for John Williams in the Harry Potter franchise in 2005, scoring the fourth film in the series after Williams dropped out. There were no nominations for John Williams' score for Stepmom at the Oscars, Grammys, or Golden Globes. And it remains one of those scores that fans remember Williams wrote, and even though many can remember all the rumors about him replacing Doyle, most claim they have not seen the film, or even heard most of the score. Even though I don't rank the score as a standout achievement, and it's not a great listening experience on the soundtrack CD, I really hope everyone listening will seek out this film and judge the score on its merits and forget all that backstage drama that surrounds it. Williams certainly didn't have the time to dwell on the machinations behind the stepmom score. After a little time off, he was headed to London to begin work on the first film in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, reuniting Williams with George Lucas and with the London Symphony Orchestra. I'm excited about the Phantom Menace episode because I'll have a special guest joining me to give us some fantastic insights into that score. So thanks to everyone who joined me on this episode. I really appreciate it. And I really, really appreciate everyone who sends me an email to offer some thoughts about a particular episode, share a story about meeting John Williams, or just to say hello. Those emails fuel my enthusiasm, and I really hope you'll keep them coming to jeffswim at aol.com. Until the next episode, the baton is down. <laughs> <laughs>